So brothers and sisters, we live in a confused age. I think by any biblical standard, it is clear that our, our culture is confused. We're confused about what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God. And this is clear for me anytime I turn on the TV and there, and there seems to be an increasing number of ads or, or news stories that promotes the idea that, that individuals can choose their identified gender that, that they live by that goes against their God-given biological sex. And I think this particular ideology has become extremely prevalent and popular just even over the past five years. One article I, I recently read reported that many major companies in America, such as Gillette, Etsy, H&M, Airbnb, Pantene, which I think sells hair products, um, even Ritz crackers and Oreos have purchased and produced TV and internet ad campaigns in the past 12 months that are inclusive of and, and promote this particular gender identity ideology. And I know this is probably not surprising to, to any of you that lives in this culture, at least those of you that watch TV, but the striking, I think the, the troubling thing is that our culture at large, our, our society, celebrates this ideology and, and, and believes it to be ethically virtuous as, as a moral good to believe in. And if you're to, 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 to challenge this ideology, this, this relatively new ideal, you will be ridiculed as, as sometimes living on the wrong side of history. You'll be ridiculed as closed-minded, as bigoted. You see, we live in a terribly confused age that is promoting and celebrating something that is so clearly against God's law. And I submit to you that that fundamental to this confusion that surrounds us, this confusion of what it means to be human, is that our culture does not understand what it means to be created by God, and more specifically, what it means to be made in the image of God. And that ignorance of this, this clear biblical truth leads to, I think, disastrous outcomes that, that, that we're all witnessing around us. Listen, I, I believe a right understanding of the image of God, which all humans are created in, is fundamental for all of Christian ethics and, and any study of anthropo anthropology at large. And I don't think this is just a problem with, with, with secular culture. I'm not convinced, generally speaking, that, that the the church, the evangelical church in recent years, has always done the best job of, of equipping Christians to engage the, the quickly changing landscape of the culture, or just to have a, a basic understanding of this beautiful, this key historic Christian doctrine, the image of God. And so today, I want to explore this text in Genesis 1 that recounts the, the creation of man to see what is the image of God, what is this image that we were created in, and what implications that has for our lives. So we're going to 
divide our time of your taking notes up into answering two questions, I think, rise up from the text. So the first question is, what does it mean that humans are made in the image of God? What does it mean that humans are made in the image of God? And the second question is, what responsibility does humanity have as God's image bearers? What responsibility do we have as God's image bearers? But before we dive into the text, let me give a brief, brief context of, of where we are in Genesis. So thus far in the first chapter of, of Genesis, the text tells of, of the creation of the cosmos and details how, how God meticulously created his, his creation. These are some of the most famous verses, I think, in all of the scriptures. And in verse 26, notice that the, the narrative slows down for the creation of man. And chapter 2 of Genesis slows down even more. It gives us a, a, a more detailed snapshot of the creation of man and woman. And I think this is a, a, a literary choice to, to slow down, right? I think the author is doing this purposefully to, to emphasize the climax of the creation account, which is the creation of God's image bearers, humanity. So the author is slowing down the narrative to to highlight the unique relationship man has with God and the unique manner man was made in the image and likeness of God. But before we dive into our first question and look at what the image of God is, we need to have first examined this, I think, difficult to interpret phrase at the beginning of verse 26. So read with me in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. So who exactly is the author, who I think is, is Moses? Who, who or what is Moses referring to when he says us and our? What is happening with the use of plural pronouns to refer to the one true God? Ever since I've been a young Christian, this question has always fascinated me. And this text seems to be indicating that God is deliberating or deciding with, with somebody or something in his decision to make humanity. And there's many different ways Christians throughout the ages have interpreted this. So I don't think we should be too entirely dogmatic about our interpretation. But I'm just going to quickly present the, the main views that Christians have had on this and, and submit to you what I find most convincing and you can either take it or leave it. So first, some scholars see the use of the plural pronouns as an example of Moses using a, a rhetorical method in the text, which is commonly called the, the plural of majesty. So this was commonly used in, in other ancient Near, Near Eastern cultures in their texts when, when, they, when they identified their royalty by using plural pronouns. So the effect, I think, of using the plural pronouns for a singular person is to to magnify their greatness, to magnify their power and the prestige of that person. So it could be Moses is using the plural rhetorically to show the distinct power and greatness of God. It's option one. Another interpretation, which is the traditional Jewish interpretation, 
And probably, and in my study, the, the most popular modern interpretation is that God is addressing here his, his heavenly court or, or the angels. So God is deliberating with, he, he's, he's saying, let us himself and his heavenly court create man. And there's a lot smarter people than me that believe this. This is very well possible. But the reason I do not get behind this interpretation is because the second plural pronoun in the verse, are, so when it says, let us make in our image, I don't think humans were made in the image of angels. So I think the third option is the best that I'm going to present. I think it's the best interpretation, which has been the traditional interpretation throughout church history is that the plural pronouns will refer to a, plurali a pr plurality existing in God. And I think the reason this is complicated, it brings up a, a host of questions of authorial intent, of how Moses could know about the Trinity, of that, that, that of the Trinity is only fully revealed in the New Testament, which, which I think those are very important and good questions that we should be asking of the text. But I'll just say, I think there's, there's enough New Testament evidence, namely passages that, of, of Jesus' role in creation. Think of, of John 1 and, and Colossians 1. That, and I think that evidence suggests that, that the divine author of Genesis, God, perhaps intended a meaning that the human author, Moses, did not fully grasp when writing. Right? When we look at the, the scriptures canonically, the, the, the whole of scripture, we see the, the plurality of God revealed, and that divine author writing through Moses. And again, this is just an aside of an important interpretive point, but I don't think it has any, any bearing on the, the main idea of the text. So you don't have to agree with me, but I wanted to present those because I find it fascinating. Okay, so now to our first question. What does it mean that humans are made in the image of God? And you know, the text here in Genesis doesn't explicitly tell us, which is kind of frustrating for a Bible teacher. But again, this is a, a, another theological question that much debate has, has surrounded throughout the history of the church. And there isn't an overwhelming amount of consensus on what exactly the image of God is. So in the, in the pre-Reformation period, many theologians believe the the image of God in humans is, is man's intellectual and spiritual capacities, such as man's ability to reason, his, his intellect, his, his, men, his memory, his, his volitional will. This is a, a position made famous by Augustine. And later on in church history, the reformers generally taught that the image of God meant primarily that man, before the fall into sin, so here in Genesis 1, being made in God's image, lived with the right righteousness and holiness before God, and they could truly know God in a covenant relationship. And while I think there's, there's definitely truth in, in both of these positions, and, and those, do, those characteristics do make up the doctrine of the image of God, I think by following the text, we see that man being made in the image of God fundamentally means man is God's representative on earth. So take a look at verse 26 again. The text states that man is created in God's image and likeness. 
I don't think there's much of a distinction between the meaning of, of image and likeness. Most agree that the term likeness simply means that to be created in the likeness of God is to be created like God in some way. There's, there's less clarity on what the word image means, but it most often means in the Old Testament to, to, to be modeled or, or mirrored or a representation of. So this same Hebrew word for, for image is often used in the Old Testament referring to, to physical idols of the, of the pagan idols, of the pagan gods. So the, the little idol, right, they would carve out, that's the literal word in the Hebrew, they would carve out image, make a model to represent or model something about the pagan idol. And so I think we gain greater clarity on the meaning of what it means to be made in God's image, in his likeness, by the rest of verse 26. So read with me. It says, and let them, that's, that's humanity, man, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So humans, as image bearers of God, will rule, will have dominion over the rest of creation. You see, the text, Genesis, primarily deals with the function of being made in God's image, which is to, to rule and have dominion on the earth. The commentator Gordon Wenham helpfully points out that the, the text is portraying man as a vice-regent of God or a, a royal representative of the Lord who, who rules and, and subdues God's creation on his behalf. So I suggest that, that being made in the image of God primarily means in this text, in Genesis, to, to be God's representative ruler, God's ambassador on earth to mirror, to, to showcase who and what God is like to the creation. And we're going to look in a minute what, what is required of God and, and having dominion over the rest of the creation. But I want us to, to, to pause for a second and think of the, the implications of what this truth that all of us, everybody, everybody that lives is a representative, a vice regent of God on earth. One massive implication is that every single human is unspeakably valuable and deserves dignity. And this truth is made clear in Genesis 9-6. You can turn a few pages over if you'd like. This is right after Noah. Noah has come out of the ark after the, the flood of the world where the, the Lord makes a covenant with Noah and states he, he will require a reckoning for the life of man. And he states, whoever sheds the blood, whoever kills man, shall be killed by man. So the Lord institutes a capital punishment for the, the murder of man, for the taking of man's life. And the reason God's, God gives for this, look at, 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 at the verse, verse 6. So whoever sheds sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. It's because 
humans are made in God's image. The implication here is, is humans are immensely valuable and, and deserve dignity and protection. And this is really important, both, both I think on, an, on a worldview, societal level, and also on, on a personal level. So it's often been pointed out that three of the largest atro atrocities in, in modern human history, the, the, the North American slave trade, the Holocaust, and the modern abortion industry all carried out and, they, and continue to carry out their grave injustices because they viewed their victims as subhuman. So in other words, the greatest acts of societal wickedness in human history occur because of a, de of a denial that every human is created in the image of God. And thus, they deny every human is inherently worthy of dignity and life, and then they exploit and even terminate that life. And so, brothers and sisters, I think this should drive us to pray for our leaders in our state and in our country, that they would value all human life as being made in God's image, that they would enact policies that reflect this truth. Particularly, I think we must urgently pray for the, the most pressing issue of our day, that, that unborn image bearers would no longer allowed to be legally killed in their mother's womb. But I also think all people being made to, to be a representative, a representative of God, to image God, and thus being valuable. I think that has implications on a personal level. I think if we are honest, maybe it's just me, but sometimes we do not functionally live as if every person we encounter deserves dignity and respect and deserves honor. So whether it is the, the, the president or the homeless, the, the star athlete or the, the teenage mom, everyone, by virtue of being God's image bearer, deserves dignity, honor, and respect from us. Even that person that, that cuts you off on the highway, or even that person that you really just can't stand on social media. And listen, I don't think this means we, we, we glaze over sin and treat everyone as if they are are perfect and act unwisely about who we associate with. But I do think we must have a fundamental disposition of kindness, gentleness, and grace for everyone encountered because we, we, we have to know, right, they too are an image bearer of God. They bear God's image. I think the best example of this, this is the constant model of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And I think we, we, we ought to emulate our Savior. If you look at, at, at verse 27 back in chapter 1, the narr narrative of Genesis stops. And Moses adds a, a descriptor sentence explaining God's creation of man in his image again. And, and in this verse, we see that male and female are both made in God's image. Read with me verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This means the, the, the author of gender or, or sex is the Lord, is God. Not modern 
biological or social sciences. God created male and female as good and necessary in his creation. And as we're going to see in in verse 28, male and female are are necessary to to populate the earth through the the covenant of marriage. So this means for us, both both male and female are, are equal in value and dignity by virtue of both bearing God's image. And both male and female are, are distinct from each other. They're, they're not the same. And that's, that's a good thing. This may seem obvious, but I think a growing majority of our culture believes that there's, there's really no distinction between man and woman. As I stated earlier, our culture goes as far as to say an individual can choose which, which gender to identify as, even if it goes against their, their born biological sex. And it may go without saying, but I, I feel I must say it. This is antithetical to the Christian worldview. God created humanity as male and female. He created, created us, including our, our gender or sex, purposefully. Meaning humans, and this is really key, humans have no right, no bearing to change God's design. And I think this leads to an important implication of being created in the image of God. And that is by virtue of being created, all of us owe our full allegiance, our full submission, our full worship to the Creator God who graciously created us. And this means that we have no right to say to God that we were were born in the wrong body or with the wrong gender. No, we must submit ourselves to what the Word of God teaches regarding what it means to be, to be a human made in God's image. And, th- and I think this has ramifications far beyond just, just sexual ethics, although that, that's extremely important. Humans, all of us, we must submit to God and all of His law, all of His Word. We are the creatures. He is the Creator. So, That was a lot. But so far, we have seen that that to be made in the image of God means that that humans are God's representatives, God's vice regents on earth. And it means that that humans are either male or female, right? God created sex. So now let's move on to, to the second question. What responsibility does man have, do humans have, being made in the image of God. What responsibility do we have? So look at verse 28. It begins by, by stating that God blesses man, and he says for them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. Notice that if you just look up a few bus, uh, verses before that, that, that God repeats the same commands he gave to the animals in verse 22 to be fruitful and to multiply, to have, to have offspring. Yet Moses, I think this is important, adds in verse 28 the phrase, and God said to them. I think this, this highlights the unique relationship man has with God. Man, unlike any creature, can know God in a covenant relationship. The Lord speaks with man in a way he, he doesn't with the rest of creation. 
Again, man is unique. Again, the, the text is showing us man is unique amongst the creation. So, so God blesses humanity by giving them two, two commands, two responsibilities. The first, as we stated, is to be, to be fruitful and multiply. This means humans, in the, in the covenant of marriage, which, which is going to get described in chapter 2 of Genesis, humans are responsible to, to fill the earth with fellow image bearers, children. And so I think just a, a quick word of application, we need to remember, fundamental to, to Christianity, is that children are a blessing. Having more children is, is a wonderful thing that we, we should celebrate. And I think this is why the recent news that America's birth rate has continually declined over the past decade to, to prog- problematic levels is truly tr- a tragedy. Because we're, we're failing, as a culture, we're failing at our first job. So listen, making more image bearers in the covenant of marriage is an ethical good thing we must celebrate every chance we get. This is partly how we fulfill God's mandate on our lives as his representatives. And I, I don't think this means we, we, we all must have physical children. But all of us must love and help nourish the children among us. Maybe here in this, this local body, you have a responsibility to, to love and nourish even not your, just your biological children, but the children of your fellow members. All of us must love and nourish children. They're a gift. The second command or or responsibility humans are charged with is to subdue the earth. You see that in verse 28. And subsequently, to, to, to have dominion over the animals. The word subdue, I think it kind of has a, a, a negative connotation in our culture. I think we hear it, or maybe this is just me, and I think coercive control over something. But I think a, a closer meaning um, of the word in the text would be to, to cultivate the earth. That the idea is that, that humans are to, to cultivate the resources, to subdue the resources found in the earth and create, and create institutions, technologies, cultures that represent or mirror God's character in the world. This is often called the, the, the cultural mandate. Humans are charged with subduing, cultivating the creation, cultivating it to, to create God-glorifying culture across the entirety of God's creation, right? To, to represent God's righteous rule over the earth. So the answer to our second question is that is that the responsibility man has as God's image bearers is that we, we must populate the world with fellow image bearers and we must subdue or, or, or cultivate the earth to represent God's goodness and God's glory for all the world to see. And it sounds like a, a great, wonderful plan, right? The massive, obvious issue is that when you look around, humans, 
have often exploited the earth and created evil, wicked cultures that stand fundamentally opposed to the law of God. So since Genesis 3, since Adam and Eve fell into sin, and the rest of, of humanity is now born with inherent wickedness, since then man does not image, man does not represent God in creation the way we are designed. After the fall, the image of God I believe, is marred in man. And this is key. It's another topic of, of, of great debate. We're not going to get into it today. But is, is if the image of God, was it lost after the fallen sin? Do we even have the image of, anymore? I think it's clear from the whole of Scripture that, that fallen humanity still has the image of God in some capacity. right? Like I said before, we, the humans deserve according to, to Genesis 9, after the fall, a, a certain amount of dignity, respect, and honor for of being God's image bearers. But I do think the image of God is marred in man and that humans rebel and don't mirror the character of God in the creation as we should. And we, left, left in our sinful flesh, we reject and distort our God-given responsibilities. Every single one of us. All of us. So my question is, do we have hope? Are we left hopeless? The New Testament speaks of Jesus Christ as the perfect image of God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Colossians 1.15 says he is the the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the perfect representation, the perfect mirror or model of the character of God in creation. So Christian, we look to Jesus to see the perfect image of God. And the good news is, is that if you, if you trust in Jesus right now, if you, if you submit your intellect and your will, and, your, and you trust your life to Christ, then the, then the image of God that was marred in you by the fall, the promises will begin to be made new in you. We can see this clearly in Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn there if you'd like. The, the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, he, he argues that, that Christians must put off the old corrupted self and put on the new self. So read with me. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24. Paul writes, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, look at this, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. So I think an implication for what Paul is saying is that is that through our faith in Christ and in our union with Christ, we will put off the old self. We will put off the sinful nature that, that corrupted, that, that marred the image of God, and we will be transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of God. I think, I think given the language Paul is using, he's clearly connecting the, the moral righteous transformation that occurs in the believer's life which is a promise that will happen in the believer's life, 
He, he connects that with being created in the image of likeness of God in Genesis 1. So, so in, in other words, Christians, as, as we grow more like Christ, we will properly image, we will represent the true righteousness and holiness of God in the world. And friends, that is really good news. Because through Jesus' transforming work in our lives, we will properly model, properly image God in creation, which is our whole intended design here in Genesis 1 at the beginning of the story. And of course, we don't do this perfectly as we, as we still battle sin and the corruption of the old self. But as we grow in righteousness and holiness and we reflect God's true character, listen, we are growing more and more to reflect the nature of our Creator. And we then represent, we then image to the dying world who and what God is like. So Christian, take heart by actively killing that sin this week and pursuing righteousness and throwing off the old self. You are fulfilling the mandate here in Genesis 1. The responsibility of spreading God's righteous rule throughout the earth. I think that should cause us to praise the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, as, as we engage our confused culture, and it is very confused, as we live life in a culture that doesn't understand what it means to be made in God's image, I don't think we should have a disposition of fear. We should not live as if those with no hope. We must trust in Christ and grow in the righteousness and holiness of the Lord so that we can properly show, that we can properly magnify, we can properly represent to our culture what their creator is like, what our creator is like, what our God is like. And that as a result of, of our transformation, of, of, of our abiding in the Spirit, abiding in Christ, as a result of that, many many would repent and trust in Christ and have their, their lives and their minds transformed by the renewing of, of the image of God in them. May that be your great hope and your great task so that then they, those far off from Christ, can join in on God's righteous rule of the earth for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we, we love your word. We love that it is true and that it is living and active and that it will transform us. So we pray today that we would submit each of our lives to your word, that we would, that we, we would seek to honor you, that we would seek to love you, that we would seek to, to understand you better. Um, we, we thank you for this precious doctrine of the image of God that is so clearly revealed in, in your word. 
And I pray for all these brothers and sisters as they, as they go out of these walls that they would consciously remember to abide with you in killing sin and growing in righteousness and your holiness so that all of us can magnify you and represent you as you deserve to the world. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.